And there is a day coming when we will experience 100% physical restoration. Amen? I don't know of anyone probably more uh, who lives in more anticipation of that day than the guy that I want you to meet. This is Bobby Edwards. Bobby and his wife Emily and their kids are members of First Family. And I'm sure you've seen Bobby around as he zips in and out of you in the cafe or in and out of the aisles in this motorized vehicle you have here, right? It goes goes pretty fast, too, by the way. I've, uh, I've seen him kind of <laughs> zip along pretty good. Sorry, Frank toes. Uh... <laughs> Any toes? But a lot of you probably don't know why uh, Bobby is wheelchair-bound. Bobby, tell us a bit about how this came about and uh, why um, you're having to kind of put up with this for now. Uh, well, uh, the Lord saw fit uh, to... Uh, in 1999, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis um, and uh, it's uh, it's really as, as far as uh, MS goes, it's uh, it's progressed pretty quickly, uh, you know. But uh, at the same time, it is a progressive uh, thing. So uh, uh, you know, my family and I, we've had time to kind of adjust and, and get ready for for what the Lord might be doing. But uh, he's he's slowed me down a little bit. I don't get to uh, play basketball anymore, which uh, which I miss a lot. But uh, uh, he's uh, the Lord's doing some good things though. So. You know, as you think about what you used to do and now what you can do, I guess the first thing that when you realized you had MS and what was coming is that you probably started praying for healing. That's what church people do, right? You go like this at that point. I mean, when something bad happens, we get the prayer chain active, we call the elders, and we're like, I want to be healed. I'm sure you did that too as well, right? Yeah, I did. Um, um, when uh, when MS first, the, the symptoms really started setting in and, and I started getting tougher to walk and stuff. I used to pray a lot uh, that the that the Lord would take it away. Um, but uh, you know, the, the Lord showed me my heart a lot in in uh, in the things I used to pray and the, the truth of it. And mm-hmm. really, it was just a, there was a lot of selfishness uh, in, in my prayers, a lot of pride that just didn't want to do MS. You know, I don't I don't want to I don't want to go through this. But but I, I see the Lord showed me it was just a. You know, not that I understand now, but it was just a lack of understanding of his sovereignty and trust in his ability to take take seemingly bad things uh, and just do really good things with them. Mm. That's a hard answer to hear, isn't it? I didn't want to do MS. Well, I don't think anybody does, you know. And yet, you pray differently now, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I, honestly, I don't. I don't pray much for for uh, for, for healing much anymore. More just uh, for. Uh, for wisdom, to know uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding what the Lord might be doing. How has MS uh, changed some things in you? I know it's affected your kids and your family a little bit. Walk us through a little bit, just briefly, some things it's done for you in a positive. God's used in a positive way. Well, the Lord has. He's been good to to use MS to. I mean, a, a lot of people who go through hard things, they don't get to see unnecessarily the good that the Lord is doing but it's a promise that he is and uh, and he's been good to to just let me see he's uh he's really working hard at stripping away my pride and uh and he's taught me so much about grace and sovereignty and uh and he's uh he's been good to teach my kids through it too and and he'll do that you know he'll he'll use our hard things the hard things that we go through to, to bless and, and uh, grow other people and he's taught my kids to be servants uh, in a way that uh, you know they they, nec- they wouldn't necessarily uh, be able to, to understand at this point in their lives had it not been for MS I bet in light of that 
um, while you're thankful for that, you probably have a, a deeper appreciation for what God's going to do one day when He does restore us physically, don't you? Oh, very much. He, <laughs> he, he lets me think about it a lot. A lot about glory and about uh, the day that's coming. And, and uh, I, one of the things that, that the Lord lets me go through is uh, just a, a bit of... There's chronic physical pain. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm just, uh, I don't handle that so well. And uh, so there's nothing like uh, a little bit of physical pain that, that doesn't go away uh, that will make you think about, uh, about that day that's coming, about glory. And, and, and the Lord just reminds me, He's so good to remind me of His Word and the truth because He speaks so much about our tribulations and our sufferings in His Word. And, he, and He's good to remind me that, uh, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the mm-hmm. glory that should be revealed in us. Amen. Uh, and, and, I, and I believe that. And uh, and the Lord's helping me to to trust in that, and and uh, because of the promises like that in His Word, I know um, that that I'm not always going to be in pain, and I will walk again one day. And, and in fact, I'm going to run again one day, <laughs> and I, I probably ain't going to stop uh, once I start. But uh, but the Lord lets me have uh, MS now, uh, and uh, it's it's good because He's uh He's just going to let me appreciate walking with Jesus for the first time a lot more. Amen. In fact, I've asked Bobby to read for us some verses that we'll be looking at today. So, Bobby, you read. These probably mean a lot more to you than, than they do to us. I wish they meant the same to us as they do to you, but you have a, probably a keener sense of what they might mean. Read Isaiah 35 for us. You have your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there. And listen to Isaiah 35, 5... Uh, what verses were they, Bobby? Five and seven or something five, like that? Five through seven. Listen to them from a man who can probably read them differently than you and I read them. Go ahead, Bobby. Uh, Isaiah 35, uh, verses five through seven say, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the, habita- in, in the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Hmm. That day's coming, buddy. Yeah, One day, right? Now, I'll make you a promise. Uh, we're probably not as spiritual as you are. We're going to keep praying for your healing, okay? <laughs> Is that okay, church? I, mean, I don't know any pastor that can as he looks over his flock week to week and prays for his people that cannot pray for these kinds of things. But we're going to pray for something even better based on your example to us. We're going to pray that God will get the most glory. Amen? And if in His sovereignty He knows that your situation will bring Him the most glory, we'll try to be where you are and be content with that. You are a lot more content than we are, it looks like. And I appreciate you, Bobby. Thanks for your example to us. And uh, we know that one day... Uh, we'll shoot hoops in heaven. And then together we'll beat my cane finally. How's that sound? Yeah, yeah. It'll take two of us, you know. Yeah, I bet, I bet it will. You know, I thought about Bobby's story and even Faye, her legs and the situation there. You know, there is a day coming when those things will all be physically restored. That's what Isaiah 35 talks about. But I want to be honest with you. For there to be an Isaiah 35, 5-7, there must be an Isaiah 34. Are you with me? In other words, if the leap are gonna, excuse me, if the lame are gonna leap, if the blind are gonna see, I guess at some point there must have been blind people and crippled folks and and those who couldn't hear. And that's kind of where we are now, isn't it? 
We're all in this kind of situation where we don't like some things around us and we're looking forward to the day when God will restore everything and make it right. That's Isaiah 34. And these two chapters, Isaiah 34 and 35, form what I kind of call a battery of chapters. Let me explain what I mean. Isaiah 34, you ought to write a negative out of the top of the chapter. It's the negative terminal of these two chapters. 35 will be the positive terminal. And together, we kind of get charged up. We kind of get the power to really see what God's saying about restoration by seeing the negative and the positive, okay? Now, I'm going to read through some scriptures somewhat quickly. So have your fast eyes on and your fast fingers. Let's notice what God says, first of all, in Isaiah 34. Notice all the negatives here. What I call, this is a, it's like retribution. It's the reason we're needing restoration. He lays it out for us in Isaiah 34. Look what he says. He first of all talks to those nations who have an unbending knee. Listen very carefully. Don't be distracted if you would please. Isaiah 34, he says, Come near you nations and listen. Attention all you peoples. The earth and all that's in it. You need to hear this. The world needs to hear it. In other words, he's not just speaking now to Judah and Jerusalem. But he's speaking to all of those who have an unbending knee. Who think they can do it on their own. He says the Lord is angry with all nations. Now understand, that doesn't mean that God is mad at you in the sense that He's looking for someone to take His wrath out on. We said last week God did that at Calvary. Amen? But this is an Old Testament verse speaking of God's desire to see justice because of sin. So from that angle, God was upset with those nations who were around who weren't bending their knee, who weren't obeying. He was looking for justice. And it says His wrath was upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them, verse 2 says. He'll give them over to slaughter. Now listen to these negative sounding verses. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will send up a stench. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. The stars of the heavens will be dissolved. The sky rolled up like a scroll. All the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine and like shriveled figs from the fig tree. Wow, Todd. On the heels of a very encouraging story from Bobby, you can sure set the tone differently now. I mean, I'm not really encouraged. This is kind of morbid. This is kind of sci-fi-ish. Well, what he's speaking of here is that line that's soon to come, that historical line when, when retribution will be over and restoration will start. I believe this refers to what is known as the Day of the Lord. And surely in that day when all of the earth's armies are encamped around Israel and they're about to destroy God's chosen people, He will come. He'll unroll the sky. He'll rain war upon Israel's enemies. And He will rescue her. Up until that point, it seems all like retribution, like things are rough. It's tough down here. From that point forward, it's going to be all restoration. Are you with me? What God is describing here is the time up until that line. In fact, he says he will bring retribution against unbelieving nations. In verses 5 and 6, he talks about how he brings that against unbelieving peoples. In fact, look at verse 5 and 6 and notice one key word. He talks here about Edom. Do you see that? In fact, would you circle the word Edom in your Bible? Edom is not only historically relevant relevant, for how they were a nation that was hardest to do, they're also spiritually symbolic of all unbelieving peoples. Listen very carefully, church. Edom is the birthplace of Esau. And I'm going to say some very hard things to you that are biblical and historical, but they sound difficult. Listen very carefully. Esau is representative of those who who have not chosen God. In fact, the writer of the New Testament said this, 
talked about Jacob and Esau, remember? He said, Jacob have I chosen, Esau have I hated. In other words, there is a sense in which God says, you know what? I choose you and I redeem you. And then Esau, outside of the plan of God, tried to find his own way. And to all people who try to find their own way, to those who try to make it to God without Jesus, there is only retribution. There is only judgment. So Edom stands symbolically for unbelieving people. He says in verses, look at verse 6, he says, The sword of the Lord is bathed in blood, it's covered with fat, the blood of lambs and goats, the fat and the kidneys of rams. The Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, that's the capital of Edom, and a great slaughter in Edom. And he begins to talk about how Edom, this symbolic place of the inhabitants of unbelievers, will not only as a people be turned upside down, but even the land itself will be overrun and uninhabitable. And he talks about that beginning in verse about 11 all the way through the end of the chapter. In fact, look at all the, the things he says here about Edom. He says that its smoke will rise forever in verse 10. Do you see that? It says it will lie desolate from generation to generation. No one will ever pass through it again. See, there's a day coming when God will completely and utterly destroy those who, who, who don't believe. He's going to bring judgment upon those who, who have refused and to bow their knee and, and to give glory to God. That's what Edom here symbolizes. In fact, I'm going to show something in the remainder of these verses. He talks here about various animals. You see things like the desert owl, the screech owl, the great owl, the raven. He goes on talking about jackals and, and the desert creatures, hyenas and wild goats. You know that all of these animals mentioned here, uh, to the Jew when they read this, they were considered unclean animals. They were very familiar with Levitical law. And so as they read these, they're like, man, the very things that, that God says aren't right. These are the kind of things going to happen to our land. And God's laying a picture out. He says, listen, when you depend on your own way, you'll end up with something that's totally opposite and different than, than me, and it's not what's going to save you. It's going to leave you high and dry, so to speak. And Isaiah 34 lays out a very dark and bleak picture of retribution. That's Isaiah 34. That's the negative side. For nations and kingdoms, for unbelieving peoples, for unfruitful land. It's not a pretty picture. But Isaiah 35 begins in a somewhat different way. Look at verse 1 of chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be what? Glad. And suddenly the tone changes, doesn't it? Here's the positive terminal to this battery of chapters. Look what he says, the wilderness and the, they will rejoice. The, it will blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Surely they'll see it. Because things will be terrible. They'll be encamped against Israel. It'll be like the, the, the very last day. And then God will come. He'll rescue Israel. So it will seem bleak, a time of retribution, but suddenly a time of restoration will dawn. And that's what he does in verse 3. Look what he says. I like these verses. He says, strengthen the feeble hands. Why should you strengthen those hands and steady those knees? Because before that coming, before that line, man, those who are hanging in there need encouragement, don't they? It looks rough. It looks grim. He says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Look at this phrase. Your God will come. 
You see, to those enduring the retribution, to those hanging in those times when things just seem terrible, the prophet says to us, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. But look at the positive side. He will come to what? Save you. So guys, are you seeing the picture here? It's retribution. But when He comes, restoration begins. Of the physical earth, yes. Also of, of His spiritual people. Verse 5 begins, The eyes of the blind open, the deaf ears unstopped, and He begins talking about how the lame will leap, the mute will sing. So not only is the land and the people restored, but God's global kingdom is restored. Look at verse 8. Look how he closes this positive chapter out. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. Are you looking at your Bibles here? This is an incredible description of the final new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Talked about in Revelation 21. He says it will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. No ferocious beast will get up on it. They will not be found there. Only the redeemed will walk there. The ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. And what Marty read earlier, gladness and joy will overtake them. I mean, you'll be captured by the, the greatness and the sovereignty of God as you finally see His restoration brought to physical reality. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Yes, that's what's going to happen one day. One day the retribution will end. God will come. And He'll bring in a day of restoration. So say this with me first, family. Ready? One day it'll all be about restoration. Say it with me. Ready? One day it'll all be about restoration. Now, it's important that I color this for you in the right way. Because we're not at the one day yet. (laughs) Are you with me? One day, yes. It's all about restoration one day. But we're not there yet. If you don't believe me, just look at my bald head. Rogaine, surgery, whatever. I mean, face it. I've just got skin up here. And you've got your issues. You see, we have not been fully physically restored yet. Now that will happen one day, but it's not happened yet. We're still living in times when people get MS. When bodies break down. And things happen that we don't understand. And it causes us to long for the day of restoration. Yeah, I want to make sure that you're clear on that because it seems like some people try to deny the fact that we are in a time of retribution, that things are actually declining. Um, But the second law of thermodynamics, you know, things get worse and worse. It's true, folks. It's happening. Just this week, my wife and I were on our way to dinner with some friends. Special double date. And... I was complimenting her on how well she takes care of herself. I said, you know, the thing I love about you is, I mean, you just really work hard at taking care of yourself, and you're just so beautiful all the time, and uh, you eat right. And I'm saying this because, you know, I don't, I don't eat right. <laughs> all the things I don't do. And I said, you exercise, and, and we both like that. And so on the heels of talking about how proud of her I was, and just, I said, so honey, don't get discouraged when a lot of it doesn't work. It's like, man, that was a dumb thing to say, wasn't it? 
I mean, I'm doing good and then I blow it, right? She kind of looks at me like, okay, where are we going with this, you know? And I was telling her about a, a backache I had from shoveling Monday after 60 degrees on Sunday, right? And she's got a shoulder ache she's dealing with. And I said, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can to fix these things, but the truth is, honey, we're rotting. And that was worse, you know? She's like, we're headed to a double date. I mean, this is not going the right direction, you know? Now, really, she leaned over and she laughed and she goes, I know. We both just kind of commented about how no matter how much we try, and we're not saying you shouldn't try, but no matter how hard you try, you just can't stop the body from falling apart. I'll say to her sometimes, Sonny, I'm going to be just like my dad no matter what we try to do. You know, and she'll laugh and she'll say something about her mom and dad. And we just laugh because you can try as hard as you want. Guess what? The body is wasting away. The day has not yet come. This day talked about in Isaiah 34 and 35 is not here yet. Now you say, well, Todd, I don't understand what we're doing this morning. We're excited about God's one day of restoration. We sing about the forever kingdom and how we're, we're getting rid of our sorrows. And now you're leaving me with this kind of gloomy outlook that, hey, you know, wheelchairs and canes and medicine are part of the picture, so see you later, First Family. Is that kind of where you leave me today? Not at all. I want to show you the, the, the remedy for the now while we wait for, for, for the restoration. Because God is the God who will restore. We see that here in Isaiah 34 and 35. He's not going to leave you helpless or hopeless. He is the God of, of a restorative nature. Ultimate healing is on the way. But what do we do now? Well, here's how you live in the valley of the in-between. And that is kind of where you are, by the way. This will hit you a little hard. Don't get up and walk out on me. But I just want to kind of show you a quick diagram as I explain how to deal with the days before the day of restoration. You are in the valley of the in-between. There's the Garden of Eden when God walked in the cool of the evening with the first man the first woman. And then sin into the picture and so we are now in this time of what we call groaning. Read Romans 8. 18 through 30. When you read those verses, read them in your small group this week, read them in your family at the supper table or sometime, you'll get a clear picture that even though it's humanly nice, it's still not as good as it's going to be. Amen? Even creation is groaning. You heard the rocks lately? You heard your grass? That's kind of a humor, uh, some humor, folks. Lighten up a little bit. In other words, God says even what He made is in bondage to, to the curse, the physical curse of the earth. It's in bondage till the day when He sets it free from that. Everything is waiting for Revelation 21 and 22, the heavenly kingdom. So the, the hard reality is we're in what I call the valley of the in-between. We're in this place where we're kind of waiting for one day. So what do we do in this waiting period? What do we do in this valley? There are two scriptures that answer that question. Two scriptures that make Isaiah 34 and 35 even more real in 2008. I want you to see those real briefly. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The answer to what we do while we're in the valley, while we're waiting on the the restoration to be fully and physically realized, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll just read a few verses here briefly, but I want you to mark these and see these. God is so sovereign and wise in how He shepherds us. And look at these verses He's given us to deal with this valley that we're in while we're waiting for the restoration. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4. The Bible says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Do you see that? 
We don't lose heart even though outwardly we are wasting away. And the church there says what? Yeah, you ever feel that way? Man, when I was 15, I was could do this and that. When I was 20, this and that. The older I get, the less I can do it. Just Man, sometimes you just start wasting away. You're getting old. I told our kids at supper this week, we were sitting around and I was really meditating on these things throughout the day and that night at supper, I, I like to surprise our family sometimes with just like random statements, you know. And so we were eating and I said, you know kids, it's amazing. The day we were born, we started dying. And Brandon says, Dad, I feel better than ever. You know. So we had a chance to talk about what it means to, to live in a world when really the minute you were born, you do start dying. Your body starts going the wrong way the day you were born. We get a few years on this earth and we're housed in this thing called a body. We are wasting away. Yet, what's this next phrase? Here's the hope for the valley of the in-between. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed. See that church? We're being renewed. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, what God is going to do in you and through you one day when He reveals His glory in you, at this final day when God says, here are my trophies of grace. Folks will say, wow, what a God you are. Now in your eyes, you're like, well man, I had to go through this and that and the other thing to get to this point. Man, God, what were you doing? God said, I wanted to showcase my glory through you. One day, God will showcase His glory in a way that will make everything we've been through look minimal. We don't see that right now. But one day, that's what God's up to. He will restore, and everything that we've been through won't seem like that big a deal. In this time period, we should be about renewal. Look what he says. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Are you following me? The day of restoration. When Jesus comes back and makes everything right. We fix our eyes on that. You can't see it. People don't understand it, but that's what we focus on. What is seen is temporary. Guess what? The body you're in, Michael, Scott, the things you wear, those are temporary. I know it's okay to work hard to keep those in good shape, but the truth is... What you see is temporary. This final day of restoration that God is leading up towards, it's really what's permanent. That's eternal. Renewal is the key to living life in the valley of the in-between. In fact, let me show you how Paul echoes this in his letter to the Romans. Look at Romans chapter 7. Just turn back to the left a little bit. Romans chapter 7, about verse 21. I'll read these briefly to you in... Understand again this principle weave through Scripture. Isaiah 34 and 35, that battery of chapters that talks about retribution, restoration. Here it is again laid out for us. It's tough in the present, but it will be great in the end. Look what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. There it is again. You see that? This wasting away principle, this idea that, you know what? Inwardly, I had these great desires, but on the outside, this body gives me fits. This flesh. The Greek word is sarks. And he's used it here several times, speaking of body. Look what he says. In my inner being, there's the word inner again. You see, inward renewal. See that? Look what he says here. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. Man, we'd always say, yes, man, I love God's law in my, in my heart. It's this old body that doesn't like it. Getting up early. I go to pray and I fall asleep. 
I want to get up and go to church and I just can't crawl out of bed or I get the flu. I mean, it's the body that gives us fits, isn't it? It's not our spirit. What did Christ say in the garden? The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the sarts, is weak. Now Paul lays some more, uh, he puts more color on that. What he says, I see another law at work in my members, in the members of my body. And it's important to notice here the word body is used several times. He's making a point saying, listen, the body is probably one of your largest enemies when it comes to spiritual growth. He says, I see another law in my body. It wages war against the law of my mind. It makes me a prisoner of the law of sin. It's at work within my members. In other words, I had this body, this human thing called flesh and bones and blood and veins and muscle. And it's very human. It has lusts. It has desires. And it gives my spirit fits. That's why Paul says the next verse, look what he says. What a wretched man I am. You know why I said that? He's trying to explain to you the the frustration he feels by being a spiritual being in a human experience. Listen very carefully first time, but don't miss this. That's what you are. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. You're not a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. And man, that's just frustrating. I mean, when we believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, He renewed our inward man. He made us one of His children. Our hearts, our spirit longed to be with God. That's where we desire to be. And instead, we're housed in this thing called a body. Now, when you look at me, you see me as Todd Styles, but really what you're saying is you see, you recognize the Todd Styles by the body you see. The real Todd Styles is tucked away inside of here. And when this old flesh falls away and is buried in the ground, the real Todd Styles will go to heaven. To be absent with the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So guess what? The body won't keep Todd Styles here. The real spirit me that God brought to life when I believed the gospel will live on with the Father. Are you with me? This is not some New Age talk or some there's a God in you. I'm just saying that when you believe the gospel, God brought your spirit to life. Ephesians 2. And that's the real you. And it's housed in a thing called a body. And that body will give that spirit fits as long as you're alive. The only way out of of those fits is to get rid of the body. We call that death. Paul said that next. Look what he said. He said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? In other words, who's going to get rid of this fleshly frustration I have? Look what he said, verse 25. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only God will one day restore you to where you don't have that fleshly frustration any longer. Won't that be a great day? I'll have a head of hair. Bobby will have a set of legs. And we say that somewhat lightly. It's a lot more serious than that. But we will all be rid of the things that this body gives us fits over. Our lusts, our sinful desires, our selfishness. Those will all be gone. Our tendencies to stray. And God will restore us spiritually and physically in His new kingdom. That's coming. In the meantime, we have to concentrate on the inner Man, that's what he's saying here. 
In other words, guys, you can do nothing about the body. It's headed for destruction. It's dying. But you can do something about the inner man. Renewal is the key while we wait for restoration. So remember we said earlier, it's all about restoration one day. Guess what? It's all about renewal today. In fact, you might want to jot that down. It would be a good thing to kind of keep in your mind. In fact, say it like this. Restoration one day, renewal two day. And just don't worry about trying to make sure you've got the perfect bod before God gives you one. Are you with me? Kind of be okay with the DK. Can we all agree with that? You know what I'm saying? It's happening, people. You're headed physically on a downward slope. But what is not um, what does not have to happen is that your inner man does not have to go downward with it. Your inner man can experience renewal on a daily basis. That's what God's up to in the now. He wants your insides, and He'll give you the outsides later. Now listen very carefully. This really flies in the face of a Hollywood culture. I'm not one to encourage you to be a glutton or lazy or to be ugly on purpose. Okay? I'm not anybody's going to say just just don't give a rip. That's not us. But I'll be honest with you. It's high time. You people, including me, start putting as much time, energy, and money into our spiritual development as we do our physical. Don't get mad at me saying that. Because I'm in the same boat you are, but you know it's true. Some of you will spend hundreds of dollars to make sure your kids play sports, but you won't hardly give 20 to the church. And you wonder why your children look nice but have no character. Am I being too honest this morning? Hey, this hurts me too. I had to endure it for several weeks before I gave it to you. I mean, you're getting it warmed over. I got it. You know, I'm just telling you guys. We wouldn't miss the Super Bowl, would we? Man, we'll make sure we're there for three plus hours with our TVs, but small groups for an hour and a half. Come on. Wow. And we wonder why we're all dressed up. And shallow. It's because we've not understood the God of restoration. That He's one day going to take care of our bodies. And should we do our best today with these temples? Yes, we should. I like to run, to exercise. What I told my wife that day is true. I love the way she does her best to take care of her body. We like exercise. I mean, those are things we believe in. But I'll tell you something. The best we can do is delay the inevitable. So we're far wiser as a family if we say, how can we help our kids with their character first? And then say, hey, I want you to be a good ball player. Let's go to camp. Let's do this great. But we don't just miss church because there's a tournament. We don't just hop on to practice because it's easier than going to youth group. And the same thing's true for adults. Are you with me? Guys, you've got to look at what's really important in your family. The inner renewal of the spiritual man or just the surfacy look of the outer man. That's why I want to give you a simple 
action point for today. In light of Isaiah 34 and 35, in light of Romans 7, 2 Corinthians 4, in light of understanding this nature of God, that He will one day restore us and He will today renew us. In light of that, I have a simple action point for you. Focus on the outside. Excuse me. Focus on the inside. Do your best to fix the outside. Now, there's more application points at my blog. If you'll go to our website, on the left-hand column, just click on that. There's three or four more ideas about how to apply this principle in your home. I encourage dads to go there and read some of those ways and maybe think about them with your children, with your families, moms or single people in your small groups. Go to the website there and find out some more application points. But this is the one I have the most time for and the one I really want to focus on. Quit redecorating the face. Start regenerating the heart. In other words, win the battle here and do your best to mend the body. I'm just encouraging you to see this in the way that God sees it. Take care of what's inside first and then do your best with the outside. I'm not trying to say ignore the outside, but for the sake of the kingdom of God, put it in its proper place. Amen? Here's a way I wrote down in my notes. I didn't write this on the screen. I've been saying this all week. Develop the inner man and just kind of duct tape the outer man. I mean, just do what you can. Try to stay in shape. Eat right. I'm all for those things. Our wellness department is 100% behind me. They know my heart is not to sabotage our efforts to, to be our best for God. But there's no person involved at First Family Church that should sacrifice their inner man just for the sake of looking good on the outside. Amen? Because God's going to take care of that one day. Let's let Him in the meantime give us this, a, a renewed spirit on the inside. Now in light of that, you say, Todd, what do I do with that? Focus on the inside. Fix the outside to, to really win the heart and simply try to mend the body. I'm with you, Todd. I want to get my life in, those, in, in that ranking order. What do I do next? I'll give you one simple um, step to take. Uh, take the next step of obedience to God. That's all you got to do this week. In other words... Do the next thing that God is asking you to do in regards to your spiritual development. That's all you've got to do. There may be some folks here who, who, who have never believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. When I talk about being a spiritual being in a human experience, you're like, what does that mean? And You know what? The next thing for you to do is to trust in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven. It's to believe. In fact, if my guess is right, you've been trying to behave your way into heaven. Be good enough. Fix up the outside and give enough and act right. But you cannot behave your way to heaven. You can only believe your way in. So perhaps for some of you, the the very next step is to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. And let Him do it in Ephesians 2 on you. Let Him bring you back from the dead and bring you to life. And suddenly you're like, wow, I belong to God now. And that inner spirit is there. He gives you His Holy Spirit. And the real you is brought to life. That could be the very next thing. Quit pretending and playing the 
you know, the, the Hollywood game, so to speak. Quit trying to look good and let the Lord make you different. For some others, it could be, let's say, baptism. You know, once we're brought to life, God says that He likes for us to, and He desires that we obey Him by being baptized. I've been praying this week. How many of our people, our tenders, who know they're born again, have been biblically baptized? You know, when we refuse to obey God, it stunts our growth. It causes us to focus more on the outside than the inside. Would God be calling you to take the very next step of obedience by being baptized? It's part of the Great Commission, isn't it? Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them. If you're here this morning, you know you're a believer, but you've never been scripturally baptized after your belief. I'd encourage you to consider obeying the Lord and getting baptized. For others, it might be the word and prayer of small group. There's a number of habits that God calls us to. Here's what I'm saying. One of the best things you could do this week is to take the next step in your spiritual development. That's all I'm saying to you. It could be a little different for Lon than it is for Greg or for Dan. But when a church together says, you know what, God? The inside matters. And you're calling me to, to a life of prayer that I've not known. So God, I will pray. The inner man experiences renewal. Or when someone says, you know, I've been trusting my own works to get to heaven, but I believe in Jesus Christ the only way. Lord, I believe. We'll take a step towards God. Or whether it's, you know, I've been, I've been kind of staying in my own world and I don't want to talk to anyone, but if a small group really helps me grow, if that's what, what God has called me to, I'll obey. Anytime we step towards the spiritual development of our inner man, God begins to renew us. And I want to call every person here to that type of lifestyle over the next seven days. Do something that will benefit your inner man. Spend as much energy, money, or time as you do your outer man. Man, if our church did that, we'd have a, a band of warriors that could definitely charge hell. Are you with me? Man, that's when the, the verse in Matthew rings true. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What do you say we spend a week focused on renewal? And anticipating restoration. Letting the God of the one day restoration be the God of two day renewal. Yes, let's work on the face. Work on the belly. We'll do what we can with the outside. Amen? But by all means, let's not forget the inner spirit. The man here that God is trying to develop. Let's be uh, godly and then healthy. Amen? By the way, here's what Paul said. Bodily exercise profits little. This is in the book of 2 Timothy. So it does profit, doesn't it? But a little bit. But godliness is profitable for all things. I think God has settled his case pretty clearly, don't you? His restorative nature brings me great hope. And his renewing nature does too. May God do both in our life today. Let's pray.